Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Peer. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, this is the eighth talk in the second season, so we've uh, we've come quite a way for this one. So it's very exciting that you're here. If you're joining us for the first time, Peer stands for Positivity and Innovation for Everything's Reopening. So as we know, um, there there's been a lot of negativity, and I think we've seen a second rise of that as well in this past little while with uh, our increased COVID numbers, but what we want to focus on is the positive aspects of um, crisis and the resiliency that comes from Edmontonians. Uh, so we're going to be actually talking with somebody who is a lifelong Edmontonian today who uh, comes from both sides, uh, the public sector as well as entrepreneurial sides. So that will be very interesting for us to have a discussion. Uh, before we get into that, I just want to start with our land acknowledgement. So Homestead and myself honors and thanks the many First Nations on whose historical and traditional lands Edmonton was founded, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, and Nakota Sioux. We acknowledge and embrace the fact that we are on the traditional land of Treaty 6 territory and the traditional Métis homeland of Region 4. We acknowledge the diverse Indigenous peoples whose ancestors' footsteps have marked this territory for centuries, from First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and now settlers from around the world. We do this to create awareness that we are all treaty people and to show recognition and respect for indigenous peoples and the traditional territories on which we live, work, and play. We take our responsibilities with indigenous people seriously and together we call upon all of our collective honored traditions and spirits to work in building a great city for today and future generations. Homestead holds the values of inclusiveness and diversity deep within the founding of this space. The series was created with those same intentions and was started because there really is positivity in this community. It is something that we have always had as Edmontonians. And first and foremost, this series is about building community, building positivity, and not just focusing on recovery, but flourishing. So from this series, you'll get some positivity, you'll get some advice, but you'll also get some real innovative solutions that can help your business with every day. And uh, today our focus is actually gonna be on corporate culture, which is very exciting. Um, and what that can mean for your business, how that can affect high-performing teams, how you can develop high-performing teams with that. And uh, we'll, we'll be talking a little bit today about the journey that Derek Vaughn has gone on, but also about the entirety of Edmonton, really. So our program is going to begin with Derek Kwan. He's a corporate culture consultant from the city of Edmonton. He's also the co-founder of Caldera Interactive, uh, the founder of Game Discovery Exhibition, or GDX, and Interactive Arts Alberta, a nonprofit focused on interactive digital media here in Edmonton and across the province. Derek is a graduate of both the University of Alberta, as well as Nate. He holds degrees in education and technology management. Derek is also currently completing his MBA with Cape Breton University and is a project management expert, if I do say so myself, considering uh, he holds a PMP designation as well as several other certifications, several agile ones, and he's a lifelong Edmontonian and has worked largely in the public sector, but kind of always had that entrepreneurial itch. So we're very excited to uh, have Derek join us today. And if you do have any questions throughout this, if you're here for the live chat, uh, feel free to pop them in the chat at any time. Uh, we can always address those as well. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a nice little chat today. So welcome, Derek. Thank you for the introduction. Happy to be here. Awesome. Yeah, it's, um, it's not often that we get to talk to City of Edmonton people. 
currently because you're all working your butts off. So I do want to thank you so much for making some time to speak with us today. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So what, um, what we're going to get into a little bit here is some people may not even quite know what corporate culture is. So I think the best place for us to start is uh, what is organizational culture? Yeah, and I would say organizational culture is something that is, is really uh, quite encompassing of everything in the workplace. Um, so, so I'm going to flip that question back to you and ask you what, what you think corporate culture is or, or what do you uh, perceive corporate culture, um, uh, what important aspects of corporate culture um, are there for you in your workplace? For sure. So when I first thought about this corporate culture, for me, it was your leadership team, your team dynamics in general, uh, the goals that you have, uh, values, ev kind of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I would say, I mean, you've, you've got it exactly right. Like your goals, your, your, your values, um, your attitudes, your beliefs, uh, our behaviors, the way that we show up to work. Um, all these things are part and parcel to, to organizational culture. Um, and if there's a good analogy that, that I could use for corporate culture, it's that um, if, our, if our business, if our organization um, is uh, an ocean, then our culture is the water. Uh, we live and breathe it, you know, if we're, if we're fish in the water, if we're creatures in the sea, um, in, the, in the ocean. Um, corporate culture is all around us, um, and really, um, it could be tangible, but it could be intangible. It's really just a whole systemic um, interaction of various things, like the values you mentioned, uh, like the attitudes, like the beliefs, um, and our behaviors. So corporate culture is, is very broad. Um, it may sound nebulous, and sometimes it is, um, but it can also be very tangible. Um, and some of those tangible things can even be as simple as, how am I showing up to work today? Oh, that's interesting, because I you know like for the city, you have five cultural commitments, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. At the city, our, our cultural commitments are uh, safe, helpful, accountable, integrated, and excellent, which is, I'm glad that I can remember them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but those, those really, those values, um, those values are actually really important um, for, for, for uh, how we define culture. Um, they're not everything about culture, but absolutely um, they're, they're really key elements that help us communicate what our culture actually is. Um, and what we do at the city is we take those values and we have people define them um, according to themselves. Um, because really the goal is to, is to unite what the organization thinks about those values, um, unite those to what the individual thinks um, of what those values are as well. Um, and when you have alignment, that's when you've got good corporate culture. And so with corporate culture, obviously, if it is the water, it's quite important, right? Yeah, I would say, um, I mean, there's a famous quote, I'm sure many of you have heard it, um, Peter Drucker, he says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, and, you know, when you think about a business and a business talks about, oh, strategy is, is really important. We have to understand our strategy. I mean, absolutely, right? Strategy defines um, how you go about your business, how you generate profit, um, how you go about recruiting and building a team. Um, strategy is, you know, all the things you do. Um, but if you don't have a culture that supports um, the execution of that strategy, then it's not going to, that strategy will never, ever materialize. Um, and so... Um, you know, an example of that is, um, you know, if we have a, a culture that um, actually fosters negativity and toxicity in the workplace, um, but 
on the other hand, uh, maybe you're a, you're a social work agency and, you know, and you're, you're all about positivity. You're all about saying, Hey, we're, we're supporting our, the, our clients, we're supporting our customers. Um, but when there's a lack of alignment, you might have a strategy around building up uh, your customers and, and creating supports for them. Uh, but if that culture never actually corresponds to that strategy, you will, you will find it very difficult uh, to get your people to, to move in a direction that makes that strategy possible. For sure. That's really interesting. I think um, sometimes people think strategy is everything. So to have somebody say that culture is so dominant, I, that's very interesting. I actually haven't heard that quote before. So um, working in the public sector, that's, it's a little bit different than some of the uh, businesses within Homestead, obviously. Um, but can you talk more about like what you kind of do with that or um, how sure. the corporate culture consultant kind of influences things? Yeah. So, so I would say regardless of um, whether it's a public sector organization or a not-for-profit or a private um, corporation, um, culture, like it, it manifests itself in, in different ways, but it still has the same features that um, enable the organization, regardless of, of its sector, to be, to be successful. Um, so in the public sector, um, I, I, and this might not necessarily be like a very popular opinion, but uh, my belief for the public sector is that um, the public sector in a lot of ways, it operates like a business, um, but only insofar as it makes sense, right? Because as a public sector, we are providing service. We're providing um, things that really better the lives of citizens. Um, and so profit isn't the motive. Um, instead, it's that delivery of service, um, being efficient and effective with tax dollars. Um, and so when we talk about culture, um, specifically for the public sector, um, I know a lot of folks here are, are definitely um, people who are entrepreneurs and they have private businesses. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is, uh, these, these lessons that, that I've learned in the public sector can also be translated directly to lessons that um, you can learn for, for your business. So um, from a public sector approach, um, the, the way that we, um, I guess, handle culture um, is to really be intentional about it. And what that means is that um, it doesn't matter. You don't, you don't have to do anything for culture to happen. Um, your business, will create a culture all on its own. Um, and that culture is gonna be based on what the people really bring to the equation. Um, but if you're intentional about it and you say, hey, this is really what we want our culture to look like, then that's how you start to um, create um, structures um, and, and policies and um, things that really help to, to uh, define your corporate identity, your cultural identity. And so um, in the public sector, that's what we do. Um, we look at ways to be intentional about our, our, our culture, um, whether that is um, through like recognition and appreciation, uh, rewarding um, outcomes that, that occur at the city for um, like, hey, we delivered this project, we made this bridge and it was great. Um, but also behaviors, because we want to reward behaviors that are, um, that are pro-social behaviors, behaviors that make employees want to come to work. And so being intentional about, about not only those outcomes, because as a business, um, as at the city, sometimes we can be purely focused on, hey, we gotta get these KPIs, we gotta make sure we meet these, uh, the, the, the budget that council has set for us. Um, but also the things that we also like to stress is when we show up to work, um, 
we're safe. Um, and safe to us means that, of course, we've got lots of safety things, OH and S, the occupational health and safety bit, um, but also safe means like psychological safety, mental health. Um, a lot of our staff work directly um, on the front lines. Um, and if you've ever been on a transit bus on a bus, you can know that sometimes it's a tough job. Um, and so uh, we're there to support our bus drivers. We're there to make sure um, that, you know, even though it might be sometimes a challenging job um, for one reason or another, uh, that they have the, the supports to, to feel like the company cares about them um, and that they're able to continually come into work. They don't need to take sick time to, to take a mental health break um, because we're there for them. That's really nice to hear. I know um, that is becoming more of a trend, obviously, with businesses, private businesses as well. Uh, acknowledging that, especially during this pandemic, you maybe need one of those mental health days. So I think that's something positive that we see with this movement, especially with work from home. A lot of people can't necessarily separate themselves. But um, when you come with um, such a large organization, like I think what the city of Edmonton had 14,000 employees before. Yeah, 14,000 employees, yeah, approximately, yeah. For sure, so like quite a large, large organization. Uh, how do you kind of spread culture throughout it? Is there like a program that you guys use or? Yeah, so um, there are a number of ways that we've embedded culture um, or the importance of culture into the organization. Um, and so uh, one of them, uh, for example, is our culture ambassador program. Um, and this might be you know, relevant for, for smaller businesses, um, especially if you have um, like new hires, um, people who aren't necessarily inducted into the company yet. Um, but what our culture ambassador program does is we train individuals from across the organization. Um, the city currently has about 420 uh, culture ambassadors across our 14,000 employee company. Um, and we train them to, to really um, internalize the cultural commitments, so to understand them, um, but then to help people, their peers, understand those cultural commitments or values um, into, to translate those into behaviors um, and to align their, the personal values of their colleagues with the, with the organizational um, values of the organization. Uh, another thing that the Culture Ambassador Program does is it creates like a peer network um, because one of the things that we that we understand about behaviors and, and changing behaviors and change management is that um, the best way to to actually influence behaviors is to is for you know your peers to really be the, the ones who encourage you to um, act in ways that are supportive of of what the culture could and should look like. Um, so, with regard to the culture ambassadors, uh, we we actually have at least one culture ambassador in every branch in the city. Oh, wow. And yeah, and they, they, they're there to, to be that, um, that support network for, for um, their, their colleagues, but also each other because culture can sometimes be nebulous and hard to, hard to deal with. Um, so, um, yeah, the culture ambassador program is, is one of the, the primary um, mechanisms that we use. Uh, but we also have other things, um, such as our recognition and appreciation programs. Um, I, I mentioned before um, that they reward behaviors um, and outcomes. Um, one of them is the Cultural Commitments uh, Awards. Uh, we also have um, our uh, Celebrating You 
event, uh, which is an employee appreciation program for every single employee. Usually it's um, something that we really encourage folks to come to um, like, uh, and it could be an event, it could be like a, a barbecue or, or a picnic. Um, and um, we've also got other aspects of culture, um, such as looking at it from an HR perspective, which is our employee experience. Um, and what that does is it looks at the uh, organization's um, culture uh, through the lens of how an employee interacts with different, um, I guess, stages in the career throughout the city. Um, all the way from uh, attraction, attraction, recruitment, retention, all the way to when somebody exits the company. And so we look at those experiences and try to embed um, a good, a good um, experience for, for, the, for the employee throughout their whole life cycle. Interesting, yeah, because I know a lot of people kind of develop at the city, right? Um, even within your department, there's a few people who started out in the Green Shack program, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and and, and that's I think that's really important um, to understand. Um, I think that's really important to understand uh, how we as um, like as a city, um, one of the things, and, and through through companies, like if, when you find somebody that's really good. Um, you really want to keep them and so um what keeping them means is um so i'm sorry i'm keeping getting <laughs> chat notifications and i don't know how to turn those off uh, okay it is uh the fun part of doing these live <laughs> <laughs> um so um yeah so one of the one of the aspects of you know keeping and retaining staff is uh making sure that they they have like a career path forward um, and I think for, for businesses, um, for small businesses, um, that's, that's also really important because, because once you find somebody, um, who, who embodies the, the skill set that you need, um, like the mindset that you need, um, and even like the heart set that you need as, as a company, um, you want to find ways to, to keep them. And so, um, our employee experience, our culture really tries to encourage, um, inward uh, mobility or like um, internal mobility mm -hmm. um, just because the city works really hard to recruit um, really good people um, and so um, you know we have to understand that that companies organizations are run by people and so if you got somebody good you want to make sure you keep them for sure that's really interesting because I know you've been in the public sector for quite a while but you've also been involved in kind of what the news lately would call the opposite of a healthy culture <laughs> um, because you've been very influential in the games industry in Alberta as well with um, founding Interactive Arts Alberta, originally Walkthrough. It's, it's definitely been brought a lot more to light recently how that workplace toxicity that you discussed earlier is very prevalent there. So is this something that um, you kind of brought the two together or have you been trying to, um, to move them apart or what kind of is your involvement in the games industry these days? Yeah. So, um, for anybody who's not familiar with the games industry, um, and, um, what's been happening in the games industry lately, um, there's been a lot of, I guess, like a, a me too renaissance, um, for the games industry, um, and the games industry, not only is it kind of known for um, its like misogyny, <laughs> which is not something you want to be famous for, um, but it's also known for um, its, its um, 
uh, lack of diversity, lack of inclusion um, from like a people of color perspective. Um, it's really been seen primarily as like a white and male space. Um, and um, so, so I mean, that, that's, the, that's the kind of culture thing that, that Madison is mentioning. The other aspect of the games industry um, that, that it's known for is actually exploitation um, of having people uh, who are really passionate about the industry, uh, creatives who you know, graduate from, from college or university, um, who enter this, um, this very, very difficult um, industry, uh, who aren't paid very well, who, have, who work egregiously long hours, um, all in service of making profit for, for a really large multinational company. Um, so, so my involvement with the games industry is really kind of, um, it, it's multifaceted. Um, so primarily, um, when I first started getting involved, um, it was to help students bridge from school to, to the industry. Um, a lot of my friends growing up um, were really interested in, in being creative. Um, and the creative industry, um, way back in the day, um, I used to be a graphic designer, and I know how hard it is to, to actually uh, make a living from it. And so finding ways uh, to, to help youths get into the industry um, was, was one of my primary motivations and one of the reasons why I started something like uh, the Game Discovery Exhibition. Um, but um, as I started working more with the industry, um, like understanding that diversity and inclusion lens, understanding the problems with like misogyny and sexism, um, one of the things that I've um, kind of pivoted to lately has been the creation of our, of, um, our own studio. So I'm one of the co-founders of uh, a small independent game studio called Caldera Interactive. Um, and one of the things that we're doing um, to try to like build a company that is um, not reflective of the industry, of the interactive digital media industry as a whole, um, is to be, as I mentioned, really intentional about what our values are and the things that we care about. Um, and so even when I talk about um, like the, the values of, of the city um, at Caldera, one of the things that we do is we look at our own values. Um, and our values are accountability, teamwork, diversity and inclusion, social good, and sustainability. Um, so you, know, you might not necessarily think, hey, that's something that like a game studio would care about. Um, but for us, the products that we create, um, like yeah, of course we wanna sell our products. Um, of course, we want to make sure that uh, you know our, our our studio has uh, success now and in the future. But for us, um, we also want to be responsible stewards um, for our our employees, the people who work for us, um, the contractors who come and work for us. We want to make sure that they're paid, um, and we also want to actually value our diverse um, uh, identity, um, make it a source of strength versus something that we, we laugh about in a break room or, or make like sexist jokes about. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the sustainability aspect of it is all about having a company that can weather the storm, um, that can ensure that, hey, you know, at the end of the day, what really matters to us is, is paying our employees, is making sure that uh, the people in our organization can have a good whole, um, good lives. Um, and we're not there yet. Like, I'll be honest, you know, it's, it is tough to run a game studio. Um, and I'm sure many struggling um, small businesses uh, are, looking at, are looking at the same kinds of difficulties. Um, but because they're our values, because they're things that um, we want to reinforce, um, that we've had conversations about, 
you know, the, the types of decisions that we find ourselves, um, you know, pondering over, it's not that hard. They're not that hard to make um, because we know it's important. We know that our people are important. We know that we want to create products that are respectful of our, um, of our audience, um, that draw them in, um, that, that try to create like a better, a better world and a better culture um, overall. So yes, like absolutely profit is a thing that we want. Um, but in pursuit of that profit, how do we create a company that, um, that is, is, is respectful um, and good, good, for, good for our community? For sure. I think that's where um, when you talk about high performance teams, you can really see if you're all on the same page with those values that you've been talking about. It's very easy to be focused on your project because you don't go off on all these tangents because you know what it is. So with your background in, um, in project management, has that kind of also enabled your team to be able to focus on this? Yeah, and, and I can't. I mean, I, like project management is is something is is like a is a technical like methodology, um, and I, I think I have a number of thoughts around how project management and culture kind of fit together. Um, but but I think importantly, like um, culture is is really about like half of culture is about um, like of course it's about the people, but half of it or some ratio of it is also about building that high performance team. Um, and part of that could be good project management practice because, um, you know, sometimes that discipline um, helps to create um, or help you respect or, or, or helps us respect our value of accountability, right? Um, but high performance teams really, when you're thinking about the link between them and culture, um, a high performance team, you know, conventionally, you might think of a high performance team that's like efficient, right? Um, they have a high earnings per employee. Um, they're effective, you know, they create high quality results, things that really, um, uh, you know, make a difference and make an impact. Um, maybe their products are excellent or their services are excellent too. Uh, you might conventionally think of a high performance team as a team that's lean, that's quick, that's agile, that can pivot on a dime. Um, and you might also think of a high performance team as one that's autonomous, um, one that can just pick something up and say, hey, yeah, like we're gonna make this decision really quick um, and we're gonna create a product um, or meet a need um, just easily like that. And so um, culture plays into that. And I would say that would be maybe the, the technical side of, of culture. Um, and that's where probably project management comes in. Um, but I would say, um, and this also functions into project management because project management, a lot of it is about communication too. Uh, but high performance teams, they also know how to communicate well with one another. Uh, they know how to understand each other, how to, how to learn from each other. Um, project management lessons learned, great, um, like a great tool uh, for building a high performance team. And something that really um, forces a team culturally to reflect, um, what did we do? What did we do wrong? Um, what can we do better? Um, but really like when you're talking about uh, managing a team, um, and uh, you know, having them be productive, you're also looking at a team that's that's truly inclusive and integrative, um, where people feel like they have a voice and that they're not just another pair of hands, uh, but they're truly part of of a project, um, or that um, you know that we're actually truly respectful um, of diversity. Um, and I mentioned with Caldera, we like to leverage diversity um, as a strength and not a, a crutch. 
because when you're thinking about project management, I mean, risk is a huge part of that. And if you don't have a diverse team, um, you will never be able to identify and manage risks in a, in a way that actually um, is robust. And so um, like, it's interesting how uh, all of these, these methodologies, these seemingly technical things, uh, which seem very far away from the kind of uh, nebulous nature of culture, are actually going to be uh, very much assisted by um, bolstering up some of your, your, your more technical disciplines. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think a lot of people see culture as this like soft, squishy thing of, um, you know, we're all friends here. That's our culture. On Wednesdays, we eat bagels together, um, <laughs> which can be part of it for sure. But Absolutely. to have that driving force behind it of solid project management, as well as those solid values, I definitely see that as being very, very helpful to creating high performance teams, especially because when you're on the same page, it just clicks so much more. Yeah. And, and actually there's, there's a really good um, blog post, a medium post by a fellow named Alex Ryan, um, who used to be, who used to run the Alberta CoLab, um, which is a systemic design, um, uh, like, uh, which was a systemic design group. Um, systemic design is, is really about understanding or creating systems or services or products that um, encompass um, like the systemic picture rather than just, oh, we created this widget and like that's the only thing we're thinking about. Um, but what's the impact on society or like what sort of things um, when we create the service, um, what sorts of downstream effects will it have? Um, but what he said, he's, he's an expert, I think he's in Toronto at like the Mars, um, there's a Mars lab. Um, that, that specializes in the stuff. They do amazing work. Um, but what Alex said about um, culture and projects is that if you want to change culture um, fastest, the thing that you'll do is, is, you'll, is you'll work on projects together, um, you know, and you'll have your ground rules. You'll have the, 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 um, the, the framework around the, the, the rules of how you work together. Um, but once you start working together on a project and like you will, you will find um, that that's how you actually enact change um, because you're learning, you're learning to work together. You're learning how um, those values actually tangibly play out um, when you're doing work versus, hey, we're just going to throw our values out there and we expect you to learn them and understand them. Um, but if you don't get to practice them in your everyday work, um, whether it's you know, a project or even your operational environment, uh, your culture, no matter how hard you try, um, it's going to be very difficult um, if you're not working in a way that actually respects the culture you, you intentionally create. That's really interesting because um, with, with a lot of the people who um, are at Homestead, obviously, or people who would be listening to this, they're entrepreneurs. So they're creating the entire organization as well as all of these values. I know this is probably a pretty dense question uh, to put it lightly but to create like a successful organizational culture is there any sort of quick tips for that or how how does a leader go about even starting that process yeah and i think i mean and that is that's a, that is a hard question yeah definitely <laughs> um and i would say that from from the perspective of um of a lot of entrepreneurs, I'm sure, who are leaders of their organizations, um, 
if, if you're finding that the thing that you want to do is to create or be more intentional about your culture, um, absolutely there are things that you can do. Um, and, and I wouldn't say that this is like a formula and it's not going to work for every group or team or company. Um, but I think one of the first things uh, that, that you can do is really um, just, and it seems really simple and, we, and we've already talked about it, but it's really like define your values. What's important to you? Um, why are we doing the things we do? Because if you really understand like your, your reason for existence, then that helps you um, really curate the type of, um, the types of attitudes, behaviors, actions that will ensure that you can reach those goals. Um, and so values, I think, are, are, are one of the, the first steps. Um, like, so, so understanding your, um, your, your reason for existence, understanding your values, um, and then trying to figure out how those values relate to your reason for existence. Um, you know, if, if, if the city of Edmonton was a bank, um, you know, maybe safe, helpful, accountable, integrated excellence, maybe that wouldn't actually apply. But then again, you know, it's all, it's all about how you define them. So um, I think what's important about your values um, when you define them is to make them um, accessible and understandable for your teams. Um, so it's not enough to just say, okay, um, these are the values that our company has and to just throw them out there. Um, the best way to create a culture that sustains itself um, and that really changes the behaviors of employees is to co-create those values. So to come together with them to understand, okay, what's important to you? Um, and it's not really about the words necessarily, but it's about the journey of understanding that, hey, um, we all have come to a common understanding of what, um, you know, of what maybe honesty is one of your values, but in the course of co-creating what that value is, you've had the conversation um, about what honesty actually means. And that in a lot of ways is more important than, than choosing the, the values, um, the value words or statements. Um, but of course, the reason why you would want to choose those value words or statements is because um, if somebody new comes on, you, you have them there. Um, and for every employee that comes into your company, it's a conversation that you want to have because uh, you know, they will come into uh, your, your company um, into your team with their own lived experiences, uh, with their own thoughts about what those words mean. So if you never talk about them and you don't make them explicit, then um, it's, they're not going to understand what's important to you as a business owner um, and how their beliefs um, align with your organizations and probably your own. That's really interesting because I feel like that takes um Way, 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 way back yeah, when we were talking with Johnny Jacques from Print Machine, his entire presentation was about finding your why and taking that and running with it and how this pandemic hasn't really impacted him the same way it has others because he just reevaluated his why. He went back to why do we exist? What are we doing? And to take that why and then add in the values, it seems like that's really, really important. So is it kind of the values define the culture or through the culture you create the values? Yeah, that's, that's a really good um, observation you made because of course that why 
um, that why like tells you why you exist. But how you get there um, is equally important um, because hey, like the reason why I exist might be to um, provide like tasty burgers to all of our customers. Um, but how you get there, you know, maybe you're slaughtering like the cutest and um, smallest cows for their delicious meat. But maybe your values are all about sustainability and you say, hey, you know what, we're not going to slaughter the cutest and like best cows. We're going to make sure that we are sor sustainably sourcing our beef. Maybe we're looking into uh, plant-based meat um, and that's how we get there, right? So, um, so, so the values really help you define how you get there um, or at least have that conversation of how you get there. I think... Um when you put it in those terms, <laughs> it's very easy to be like, please, plant-based, please. Um, wait, that's very interesting to, because technically, especially these days, you know, like the tastiest burger might be plant-based. It might be made out of something completely different, you know, with um, the way that things evolve. So is that something where you think values can also evolve or are they something that's kind of permanently, like once you have them, you have them? Yeah, and I would say um, it's a mixed um, it's a mixed thing um, because I would say like absolutely I think any any healthy culture is going to continue to evolve. Um, I mean, if we if we look at the type of workplace culture that existed in like the '60s and the '70s, I mean the '50s, um, I mean heck, like even up until like the early 2000s, like not necessarily a great environment for women. Um, so, um, like if, if there was a culture that was considered good back then, um, it might not be the best culture now. Um, and so I think a lot of what understanding, um, a lot of our understanding of culture should be about is gradually evolving to, 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 to meet the needs of our employees, um, and to align like our own vision, our understanding of what our business is and what's important, um, to, to also, I mean, attracting the right kind of people. Um, and so I think, um, it's an, it's, it's an imperative. It's something that companies should be doing throughout their lifetimes. Um, and, and I mean, interestingly, uh, for a lot of family businesses, um, one of the things, uh, one of the transition points that, that usually leads to, to failure for family owned businesses is, is usually like upon the, um, uh, I guess the, the passing on of the torch from, you know, from, from the, the parents to the, to the children. Um, and a lot of that is because there's a failure to reinforce values, um, to understand like what's important. You know, this isn't just about our family business. It's not, hey, like this, this thing earns us money, puts food on our table. Uh, I mean, that's part of it. But, um, you know, if you're going to create a sustainable business, like, and you're moving a company that's like 50 years old into 21st century, um, what sorts of things do you need to think about that will make you relevant um, as an employer? Um, but also as a company providing services or products or um, or things to the to the public. I think that's interesting as well because we've had Linda Huang um, Huang on as well, and she obviously isn't taking over her parents' restaurant. But <laughs> to talk about how she's processing their online payments through PayPal and then writing them a check because they don't trust the internet <laughs> quite yeah. yet. That's um that's something that's necessary and their restaurant's been there for 22 years, right? So to look back at what 1998 and see the difference there, I think it's pretty important 
to acknowledge that these changes need to take place. And maybe it is at a transition point, but would you say that there's, I don't know, like a hard and fast rule of like every five years or something, you should be reevaluating those values if you haven't already? Um, I, would, I wouldn't say there's a hard and fast rule. I would say um, as your business evolves and adapts to um, different circumstances, um, uh, I mean, COVID's a great example of that, where, I mean, it, it, it is a good opportunity to examine, you know, what's important to us. Um, a lot of companies are noticing kind of a cultural shift in terms of work from home um, or flex work. Um, and, and a lot of companies are seeing, um, you know, that, hey, like, we don't actually mind if our employees are working at home. Um, but also, a lot of companies are saying, hey, like, we're not actually that productive unless, like, we're together. Um, and so that's, that's, where, um, that's where the values and the culture of the organization, um, I, I mean, I would, say, I would say your values are something that probably could stay the same, but understanding what those values mean um, in a different context, like reinterpreting what those values mean. Because um, safe, 50 years ago um, at the city might mean, hey, we keep our laborers safe. Our laborers, um, they're, they're uh, you know, they have their, their PPE, uh, they're, um, in a, they're, there are guardrails, they don't fall. But now safety means, uh, like I mentioned, mental health, the psychological safety. Um, those types of things have really come into, uh, come into vogue because those things matter and we understand the world has changed, um, that we are starting to value um, some of these um, less tangible like physical safety things um we're starting to value um like the, the psychological things and not just the physical safety things mm -hmm. i mean even for safe we can be like you don't smoke in your office anymore yeah. <laughs> right i mean it's uh there's definitely things that have changed so i think that's really interesting especially in regards to edmonton because edmonton is a constantly changing place it's very rare to have a lot of born Edmontonians in the same room because we're, we're always accepting new people. I mean, right now with our live show, if you are here with us, we have four out of, out of five people that I can see right now that were born in Edmonton, which is insane to me. So it is um, one of those really fun things that people can kind of talk about, um, especially with our city and for you building your business, um, you could build a video game company tech, technically from anywhere. So is there something special about Edmonton that kind of wanted you to start the business here? I know you started a couple of the things like the graphic design work that you talked about before, but it's, it's kind of a special ecosystem, right? Yeah, and I would say Edmonton in particular is um, a very supportive place. Um, and it's interesting because I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of game developers across Canada um, and one of the things that they've mentioned about Edmonton is that uh, it's not the same type of competitive place that um, exists in places like Toronto or Vancouver. Um, and it might be a product of our size, um, but what's really nice about Edmonton is, is we're all like very much willing to work together um, to, to elevate like one another's capacity in some way, shape or form. Um, 
and one example of that is um, like, and a shout out to to Trent Oster at Beamdog. Um, he's our mentor, um, and Trent, um, you know, he's he's responsible for. Um, he's a big part of Bioware, um, and he's got uh, another studio now, Beamdog, um, and they're like a very successful studio. Um, we're a team, a new team of of six people, and Trent was willing to to, to mentor us, um, and so that type of generosity is is really something that I think is very difficult to find. Um, and, and the generosity that was given so freely um, without any expectation of um, like quid pro quo um, is, is just something that I've grown to, to love about Edmonton. Yeah, and that's really interting as well. Sorry to cut you off. I just meant because um, we've, we've heard different things like in the Calgary game community because they don't have those big triple-A producers here, or in Beamdog's case, double-A, do you find that the indie scene here is, like, almost even tighter? Um, well, I would say the indie scene is, is bigger in Edmonton, for sure. Um, I think by, because Calgary is so small, I would say they're actually, they're actually very tight-knit, and I, and I love the Calgary folks. Maybe I shouldn't say that in Edmonton-based <laughs> uh, podcast, but um, I love the Calgary community, too, um, and, and they've shown tremendous generosity here too so i mean and i think maybe that's why i looked at alberta um when when um uh when the folks who started interactive arts alberta um i think that's one of the reasons why we decided to to make this a provincial um initiative is just because um hey like yeah we live in edmonton like folks live in calgary folks live in red deer um but you know we're still interested in 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 pursuing uh, success um, as a as a as a sector um, and to to I guess encourage one another um, and so um, I mean it's, it's interesting and, and it makes me like it, it makes me really appreciate how much this province has given me how much the city has given me um, because um, the opportunities and the degree to which it has fostered like me um, and the people around me has been just like, it's just, it's so, um, it's unique and like heartwarming. Definitely. I would agree with that. Um, so I do want to get into, um, just because we are getting close to one o'clock here. One of the cool things that you're working on is kind of the combination of your two worlds. Um, so you, like I said, the first time I ever saw you speak, um, you were talking about gamification and how a lot of public sector things are interested in moving towards that. But you're actually working on a pretty cool project with the city right now, uh, originally is how it started out. But it's kind of like a card game version of your cultural commitments. Yeah, so um, I, th I think um, one, of the, one of the cool things about culture is it provides a space for experimentation and innovation um, and so um, actually my experience in the games industry um, you know one of the popular things to do in order to um, uh, I guess foster innovation is is what's known as a game jam and game jams are, are opportunities for um, game creators um, developers artists writers musicians um, programmers to come together um, you usually don't know who you're going to be grouped with, um, but you're given a theme and they're like, yeah, go build something. 
um, and you usually build a game in like 24 to 48 hours. Um, and, and from that game, um, you know, it, like, you know, you get to play it and you get to see just like how innovative people were, how creative people were um, in such a short period of time. Um, and so the city, um, one of the things that we were looking at was a way to kind of uh, encourage innovation. Um, and that's one of the things that the governments really struggle with is innovation and, um, and, 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 I mean, it's, it's for a reason, right? Like bureaucracies, hierarchies, they're there to, to, to keep things stable. Um, and that's, that's great. We need that as a, as a, as a society. Um, but in order to encourage and um, uh, foster some of that, um, one, of the, one of the fellows um, uh, in, in, my, in my department, um, he wanted to, to gamify our cultural commitments. Um, so we had a conversation and I recommended, well, why don't we try like a game jam? You know, we can get folks um, from all across the organization um, to to come together and build build something, build build um, build something that could help us. Um, and our and our and our goal here was to help embed the cultural commitments in in the organization. Um, and so um, it was it was it was great fun because I got to pull in some of the game design, some of the creativity side of um, you know making a physical game, um, a physical card game. Um, but it also reflected kind of the, the culture, not only in like the, the cards themselves, which, you know, uh, it was kind of like a, it was like a, a matching game where you're working together with your, with your five, uh, with your four other game, it was a cooperative game, um, for the players to assemble a tableau of the cultural commitments. Um, and so it's interesting how you can use um, uh, like some of the things you can, culture really allows you to bring your your whole self to work um, and if your culture is open enough for that um, that's when you can really um, get ideas um, like like the game um, to be a part of uh, to be part of your work um, and I think uh, from from the perspective of how effective that was um, it was really uh, it was really great to see people play it um, and, and enjoy it um, and obviously it's not perfect but you know that willingness to take risks um at, a, at an organization um was was um in, in pursuit of you know ensuring that the types of that, that our that our people understood our cultural commitments and that could could translate those cultural commitments into how we can best serve citizens um that's uh like and, and fulfill our like our corporate promise our vision for edmonton um those are the types of mechanisms those are the types of of, of grease that can help um, all employees work uh, towards making Edmontonians' lives better. So, I mean, taking a risk is the most Edmonton thing you can <laughs> do. So, I think they're kind of living up to the mural there. <laughs> Absolutely. That's really interesting. I find that um, a very cool thing of um, bringing things in together. And maybe not everybody's an expert at programming or things like that, but bringing in a team that maybe I've never worked on a card game before. Why not, right? Because you'll never know what you could find from someone if you don't ask them. Mm -hmm. So maybe we have to do a a homestead game jam. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you know that that's that's not a bad idea. I mean, if if there's a um, if if there's a need for um, you know sparking creativity, um, you know how does how can homestead best serve? The community you know maybe there's there's a game jam of some sort or it doesn't necessarily have to be a game jam it could be like a hackathon um but really getting getting people involved and if that's the culture you want to foster at homestead 
that's a great idea. Yeah, I mean, luckily we have some pretty techie people at Homestead, especially on our fourth floor, but we've been home to um, even like XGen Studios used to be based out of Homestead. So, you know, even if we had an alumni night, we have Scott come back to do all of our art. Yeah. Fun for sure. I just find that so interesting that um, the way that you've laid it out that really to be successful, if you don't have culture, you won't successful and I think people get that but when they when they hear it out loud I think it really impacts them yeah I, I think um, culture is is it can absolutely sink or swim uh, like that it's it's a, it's one of those factors that enables a, a company to sink or swim um, and a lot of the times it's invisible a lot of the time, you know, if you're focused on your strategy or your product, you're not really thinking about um, intentionally designing your 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 organization's culture. Um, but, you know, in a lot of ways, as an, as a leader, as an owner of a company, um, one of the things that you can do is to to really think about um, how, you know, if I'm going to create the culture that allows all of our staff to succeed and um, and and build our products or our services um, uh, to meet our clients' needs, um, then I as an owner can, can step back. And if, because if the culture supports that, if the culture supports the people in the company to, to, to meet those goals and to, to hit those business targets um, in a way that you as the owner want that to happen, um, like it's, the culture is there to make your job easier. It's to make your lives easier. Um, and so, um, it is worth it. It's worth it to to invest some time into talking about culture, um, into understanding values, to understanding you know what sorts of behaviors and attitudes and actions and policies or rules or you know all those things. Um, what sorts of things do we believe as a company um, are important in order for us to 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 achieve the goals that we want to in the way that we want to. I think that's great. Um, so if anybody has any questions about corporate culture, can they, can they kind of bug you about it? Sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, you can tweet me <laughs> uh, or uh, DM me. I think my DMs are open on Twitter. Um, I, am, uh, I am at Rice Rocketeer. So R-I-C-E-R-O-C-K-E-T-E-E-R um, on Twitter. Um, feel free to, to send me a message. I'm more than happy to, to talk about corporate culture. Um, and yeah, if you have some, if you have questions or thoughts, um, totally up for talking about it. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you uh, so much. I want to thank you so much for making the time with us today because this is something that's very important. So I feel like um, having it towards the end of our series, maybe we should have slotted you in at the beginning, but I'd love to have you back uh, maybe when we can do in person again to uh, be able to talk with people about different initiatives that they can take forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you so much, Derek. Um, Peer, really, it's it started as a tiny little four-week project, and now it's grown to be 14 weeks long. And I think just seeing the positivity that has come out from so many different sides of Edmonton has been amazing, whether it's healthcare advocacy, whether it's infill, whether it's the actual city of Edmonton, it's, it's been amazing to see 
how resilient and how positive everybody here has been and how supportive of each other we have been. So I think it's been so far such a great journey and um, we will be continuing on with a podcast version um, of this series, but it's going to be mixed a little bit differently. Um, so it won't be called Peer anymore because technically reopened. Um, <laughs> I believe we're in phase three for some things, but uh, we will be moving forward with this uh, to just keep that positivity going a little bit more and to bring people to the side of Homestead that maybe they don't see because they're not, uh, they haven't joined us yet for any of our events. So definitely make sure to stay tuned to our social media. So that's Homestead at YUG. Definitely make sure you give Derek a follow at Rice Rocketeer. But thank you everybody for participating and uh, we can't wait to see you next time. So thank you everybody and have a fantastic day.